Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to another edition of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from the Solar Center for Public Christianity. And actually, I'm flying solo today because my uh, usual uh, co-host, Christy Mayer, has this terrible excuse that she had actually to teach, teach students today, which I think is a lousy excuse, but that's what she's doing. And uh, so it is only me. But we're making up for the absence of, uh, of Christy by being joined by a fantastic guest uh, on the show today. I'm joined by uh, Mike De Virgilio. I probably pronounced that terribly wrongly. You can not correct bad, me. Bad. Not bad. Uh, all the way from Florida. Mike, welcome to Pep Talk. Well, thank you. It's my honor. Uh, now, Mike, um, you wear a number of hats like many guests on the show. But when I asked you before we hit record what you do, you describe yourself as, as a regular guy, but who's also thought a lot and just put into practice a lot. And then in turn, now written a book about how uh, you can be, as uh, you put it, a persuasive Christian parent. Is that, a, is that a fair summary? And if so, what is a persuasive Christian parent? Well, yeah, definitely regular, because I started this quite late in life, um, being an author and uh, <clears throat> just a sales guy. That's what I do for a living. I sell technology and gone to church all my life and, you know, but raising my kids when I had them, well, the reason I became a Christian was because I thought it was true. And that was the only reason. Mm-hmm. If it's not true, then why even bother? And, uh, and I t- taught my kids that all their life. You know, if this isn't true, then let's go do something else. Eat, drink, and be merry. So, um, yeah, so I just lived life doing that. I was not very um, uh, directional about it and, and, and teaching five steps to this or that because I'm not real good at that and I don't really like that. But uh, it just kind of flowed out of me that I would do the same for my kids. So how did you, how did you stumble across that approach? Because I, 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 I think I meet a lot of Christian parents. And I know, I think early in parenting, my wife and I caught ourselves drifting into this, that sort of faith is what you do. And perhaps you even do the devotional stuff for the kids and you build that kind of spiritual rhythm for the family. But actually that, that thing you described there of actually you know, realizing, I need to teach these guys that this is, true mm-hmm. did that how did you stumble across that how did you realize that was important well probably uh, came across francis schaefer's the god who was there when i was a young christian and that was way above my kind of intellectual pay grade but you know that was the the message i got you know and and it again um i believe christianity is much caught as taught mm-hmm. and so it has to be a passion and and even though i feel like i'm a fumbling christian and so on my kids knew this was this was the thing this was it so it just sort of came naturally to me I, you know yeah one thing i've wondered over the years do you think there's sometimes a temptation that we have as, as christian parents as was you know myself and you know there's <clears> things that show we've got kind of perhaps you know sort of younger kids i know yours are, yours are grown up now do you think there's sometimes a temptation as a christian parent to sort of outsource it to the church you sort of think i'll let the church do to do this is not my job you know it's not my job as the parent to uh you know to sort of teach the kids why this is true and all this stuff that's why we pay the youth worker is that do we think we, we sometimes perhaps outsource a bit too much to our churches rather than take responsibility ourselves yeah well that's not biblical <laughs> i agree totally you know i mean it's the parent is totally responsible for raising their children and uh, part of the answer to your previous question kind of relates to this is that as the culture has gotten more secular, I talk about something called plausibility structures, mm. which most of Christians have never really even heard of. But the secular culture is so suffocating and it makes Christianity seem not true. Not that people intellectualize or think through it. It just 
doesn't seem real. It's a, God seems more like Santa Claus. So that's why we have to counter the secular narrative. You know, yeah. everywhere you go, this world is it. Yeah. So, um, so that's why you can't outsource it. You can't. Yeah. It's in your home. If you're not purposeful about this in some way of, of, of this is true, then the culture will have sway with them. Do you know, I think I'm mean, going to totally agree. And I think one thing I've come to realize in recent years is that I think, you know, sometimes as Christians, we can assume that the kind of culture is neutral. I was talking to someone about this the other day. You know, we think back to when we were at school, you know, when I was at school in the 1980s and stuff, it probably was actually much more neutral. And then we assume that the schooling, for example, that our kids go to is like the schooling we remember. And as you say, it's, it, it, it's not. There's a very definite agenda there. I mean, to be, I want to be absolutely fair. It's not, it's not always a mad, crazy, progressive one, but there is a secular agenda there. And so the public, the public square for our kids is not, is not neutral, right? Yeah, because I, I heard N.T. Wright uh, give uh, Gifford lectures. It's like 2018. He says that modern people are Epicureans in that everyone believes in God. I mean, there are very few atheists philosophically. But and it's too obvious that this world is, you know, didn't come from nothing. But we live as if God is not relevant. Practical atheists, if you will. And so it's even worse. I mean, the, the new atheists, quote unquote, Richard Dawkins and those guys, you know, they were vehemently angry and against God. And that's that's kind of better than the ones that just ignore it. So the schooling you talk about, God is like not relevant. So you, you imbibe that. And unless yeah. you counter that in the home that God is not only relevant, he's everything. Well, and also I think as well, interesting yesterday, I was having coffee with a, with a school chaplain and we were actually funnily enough talking around some of this same stuff, Mike. And the point he made, which I thought was interesting, he said one of his concerns and, and where he's, you know, taking the limited influence he has a chaplain to try and address things a bit is, is there's, there's the level you've talked about, but there's also a level where, you know, kids, particularly Christian kids, but all kids really, but particularly Christian kids don't figure out that the subject they're studying and the and their academic passions, you know, are deeply influenced by the gospel. So he said, you know, if, you're, if you've got a Christian kid who's doing mathematics, they need to understand the Christian underpinning. If they're doing science, the Christian underpinning, the humanities, because otherwise you end up living in a bubble. You've got your Christian world on one side and your academic world, on the other, and, and then the two don't meet. And that lays all kinds of trouble for the future. Yeah. And that's where Schaefer, I mean, for, as a good example, just as a practical way about how I did this and even do this to this day when my kids are adults, we were going to church with my son and I was listening to an apologetics podcast and he's really into music. His name's Dominic. He's 20 now. <clears throat> and he said, uh, we're walking into the church and he goes, dad, you know, I think I like music more than apologetics. And I go, dude, music is apologetics, right? Mm -hmm. That's God. And we went to a concert once and I, and I said, you know, Dominic, I really feel bad for a lot of those people because they think the music's the point. You know, it all points back to God. That allows you to truly enjoy, you know, so stuff like that. And that can be done through everything in, in raising our kids all the time. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned the words, the, the kind of little P word, the practical words. So let's, you know, we've talked around some of the sort of the ideas right. and why you're passionate. Let's talk about some of the practical stuff. For a so I guess the first question I'd love to sort of throw at you, if people listening to this who are, who are parents who've got kids and thinking, okay, I, this sounds great, being a more persuasive Christian parent. First question I'll have for you, Mike. How, I mean, how how old were you were your kids when you, you began? Do you have to wait till they're teenagers to do this? Can you start younger? When can you actually start perhaps weaving some of this into the, into what you do with your children? That's an important question because um, you know you start when I hyperbolize a lot, you overstate things. But 
when they're born. I mean, as, as young as you can be. Um, but as they be- start to ask questions, you, you bring that in. So to me, the tip of Satan's spear against God and the gospel is um, creation and somehow countering that with evolution or whatever. Like somehow this isn't God's world. So from the beginning, I use the, what I call the design inference. You know, here's an orange and this is not an accident because that's the choice we have. Everything's an accident or God. And so when they're kids, you know, I would tell them, you know, hey, look at this orange. It's a coincidence. It came out of the ground and has vitamin C and it tastes great and it's good for you. And then I would go praise chance. And they're, you know, look at you like, what are you talking about? And then so I would explain to them. And over time, as they grow older, they begin to understand that. And they can't not see the world through that lens after you've done that four or five, six, whatever. To this day, my daughter's 30, and I still do this, pull that stuff on her. Well, I think what I like about that is, is also you can scale that as they get older, can't you? Because you say when oh, they're yeah. very young, that may be all they need. As they get older and they go, but yeah, hang on, Dad, they said this at school or whatever. Then you can go, okay, let's now, let's now talk about this, explore this in a bit more detail together. Well, my kids would always come, like, I, I, I don't know if it was before we got on or since, but, you know, you have to interrogate the culture, interrogate everything, question it, right? So I would teach them as they went to school, when they'd come back, I'd say, what, what, what did you learn today or whatever? And then I would, we would critique it. And as they got older in high school, it, it, would, it was fun, you know, to do that for them because they said, you know, you just don't allow the culture, academia, Hollywood or whatever, media, carte blanche. Just again, sort of probing the kind of practical side. Obviously, you know, you've got a mind that works this way. So, you know, somebody listening going, well, that's great because you, you know, you're obviously great to think of these questions. I'm a dummy. I struggle to think of these kind of illustrations. How can somebody get better at spotting those opportunities to do that? Are there ways that we can perhaps develop that and get better at that with our, with our kids? Other than, of course, read your book, which will be linked in the, in the, in the show notes. For, for which we much appreciate it. You know, that's hard to say because um, everyone's different and everyone has inclinations. But you know, the beauty of, beauty of the, and Augustine, the fourth, fifth century bishop of Hippo in North Africa, he was so embarrassed. He was a scholar and he was embarrassed by how simplistic the Bible was to him, like a child's book. And he, he couldn't stand it. And then when he became a Christian, he started to dive in and he realized, you know, this is deep enough for the biggest thinking philosopher. And it's simple enough for a child. So simple things like creation, you don't have to you just have to know God's world and see everything from God's perspective and then work it out the way you work it out. But it's got to be on your mind all the time that God is in everything about everything. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the other thing that strikes me as you talk there is all of those things actually are things that we should, we, 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 you know, we're, we're grateful for. We're grateful for the food on our table, the, the, the wonders of nature around us. And I maybe that's also a way to begin to be helping your kids go, okay, what are the things that we're grateful for and we enjoy? And then you say, okay, now let's explore those those two, those two possibilities. Who are we grateful to? Are we just grateful to chance? Are we just grateful to sort of nothingness? Right. Or is it that actually gratitude needs to be directed to somebody? And you can really appreciate those. On the other side, I think I, I have a chapter on gratitude and um, the inclination of every human being from, from conception, even birth, is self-pity and victimization. <laughs> and Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. And I often joke with my kids that when Paul said in Romans 8, 28, um, all things work together for good. And I would go, well, I'm sure he only meant 98%, you know, and they would laugh and, you know, it was like, 
And so that teaches you to, so you don't have to be a scholar to teach your kids to trust God's sovereignty and power and love and grace and, uh, and overcoming that victim self-pity thing. Because I believe many people abandon the faith because they're, uh, J.P. Moreland once said to me, nobody gets mad at the tooth fairy. You know, I mean, people get mad at God because they know he's there and their life isn't just like they want it. Mm-hmm. But you learn to trust God and, and teaching them gratitude and personal responsibility and the trust, I call it the trust challenge is when stuff happens in life, problems and challenges and adversities and petty annoyances, they're all of life. And the thorns and thistles are there for us to teach yeah. us to grow. That's why Jesus wore a crown of thorns. And that's helpful. And actually, one of, the, one of the things that we found, I don't know whether you tried this with your, with your kids when you were raising them. Like one thing that we found actually profoundly helpful with our children is introducing them at quite a young age to Christian biography. When I grew up, that was a much bigger thing. I think that's another place where actually the church has forgotten that power because when you totally agree, you know, there's a wonderful series done by um, a, a husband and wife writing team <coughs> at, uh, at YWAM um, called Christian Heroes, uh, Janet and Jeff Benge. And it's fantastic because they, you know, whether it's missionary heroes or folks in the past, and a lot, one of the themes that comes through is exactly what you've talked about because, you know, one of the books they were really struck by was Corrie Ten Boom's story. And, uh, you know, going through the, the, the concentration camps in the Second World War. And there's that lovely line that she, she, she said, you know, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And, mm. um, you know, we've That's really good. used that with our kids because, again, they're, like you say, the suffering thing, the uncertainty thing, a broken world of going, you know, the Bible's very honest that yeah. there will be chaos. I, but... I remember asking my daughter on the way to church one day, I said, who wrote um, Amazing Grace? Yeah. She was, oh, uh, uh, John Newton. I go, I don't even know about the guy. So I read the biography and it's amazing. Yeah. You know, and so for kids I, to get plugged into that sense that yeah, yeah. there is a, you know, much bigger, the church is bigger than your own, just your little local church that you attend. It, mm. it stretches, you know, back through time and it stretches globally, I think is also part of this too, actually. Yeah. That was a revelation to me when I was a young Christian. It was just me and Jesus in the Bible. Yes. And then it was a historical, a political, a theological. And then I re- found out it's like, wow. I'm part of something really big here, you know? Yeah. So um, another question I had, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago now, we've sort of gone down. I, I love <laughs> the conversation we, we, we have on the show because we, we wander in interesting directions. Yeah, I love it. But we mentioned, it's even more when Christie's here, I tell you, she got two of us asking questions. Um, Mike, you mentioned the word media um, a moment ago, and I think this is a, a one that a lot of Christian parents struggle with. They want, yeah. you know, I mean, there are there are traps there. It seems to me there are equal but opposite traps you can fall into. One is to not worry at all and just let them watch anything and everything. And you know, I think you cause a whole series of pain if you go that way. Of course, the other direction is to say, right, nothing, nothing. We're not going to do any media at all. We're just going to do flannel graph. And um, but somehow, I mean, you said something interesting about interrogating the media and that kind of right. thing. So, what was what's been your experience and what advice would you have for Christian parents? helping again equip their children for this because we live in this media saturated age it's not just the screen it's social media as well and we've got a you know part of that whole persuasive equipping that you describe is equipping them to to navigate and maintain their faith and their integrity with all those challenges so um what advice do you have for, for parents around that question well it's almost impossible well it really is and and that's the beauty of that <clears throat> is it isn't up to me yeah and uh ultimately and i've realized this as i've gotten older that my words have no power in themselves. I can't control, I can't even control myself barely. So how do I control another human being? So the beauty is it's not up to me. And, and how do you say, you know, don't watch this or you put filters on this and that. And 
you know, I, I've never been good at that. I'm, I, I don't know. But when you teach them to interrogate, to question everything, nothing gets cart, nothing just comes through without the filter of, of God and their faith and truth. And, 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 you know, secularism and what, and what it sells doesn't fulfill. It just doesn't, it doesn't ever pay off. And, you know, teaching them that as they listen to messages and media and so on and so forth, they get that, you know, when you, you're walking through the store and you see all the beautiful people on the magazines, what do you do? You go, that's a, you tell them that's a lie <laughs> or however you might do that. Right. Cause they're, then they're constantly looking at everything with a jaundiced eye, right? They're going, mm-hmm. huh? You mean I won't be fulfilled if I'm that skinny or wear that makeup or have those muscles or, you know, not that those are bad things. So, you know, I don't have any advice on how you control that because you can't. Mm. But if you prepare them for it, the messaging and prepare them to realize the truth and nothing yeah. the world offers can offer you any satisfaction. My, I don't know if we have time for one more story. There's yeah, this no, British, go, ahead. There's this British uh, musician, and I won't remember his name. and Because I've taught, this is my youngest music son. And he comes to me and he goes, check this out. And he goes, shows me this YouTube clip of this guy because he's played at Wembley which is the apex, right? He played at yeah. Wembley, everything. And uh, he goes, the guy goes, yeah, that was great. And, Do- and my friend, son, Dominic goes, yeah, now what? His life is fulfilled because he played at Wembley and he's sort of mocking. And, you know, it doesn't do that for you. You know, it just doesn't. And yes. so. Well, there's that lovely line, isn't there? Um, there's that movie from that sort of about 20 years ago, the Cool, cool Runnings, the movie about, you know, the Jake- Jamaican bobsleigh team. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. Lovely lo- line they put into the mouth of the coach played by John Candy, where he tells the team, if you're not enough without a gold medal, you won't be enough with one. Amen. And it's an amazing piece of wisdom in a secular movie that actually. Well, and I, I, I would mock my kids when they wanted something. So, yeah. for instance, uh, my son would want a guitar or my daughter would want this. And I go, now you're going to be fulfilled. It would come in and I go, now your life has meaning and purpose. And I would, and they'd say, shut up. <laughs> because they knew. <laughs> <made it> quite <laughs> annoying. <laughs> annoying in the book. I say that's a strategy being annoying, believe it or not. Yeah. All I was going to say, Mike, is the other, I think the other thing as well, that we've begun to find helpful because our kids are six and nine. So we're sort of okay. moving into a lot more. One of the things we found helpful around media is actually say the whole interrogating thing that you described but also you know asking questions after you've watched a piece of media a movie watch and say okay what is there in there as a christian we can affirm and go that's great that's a that's a little glimpse of of you know something jesus would give thumbs up what are the things that we might question and go i'm not sure about that and what are things where we might go complete that's that's antithetical that's the opposite because usually there's three there's the you get the three things in every story aren't there things where we can go absolutely things where we're like yeah i i only got half the truth and again asking those questions i think again the, te- the temptation is just watch the media turn the screen off and and let it go Well, i have a strategy called the clicker you know which is the remote control and we never get even i since my kids are not around i do this to my wife <laughs> Then we never get through an entire show without stopping it and me saying something about it or <clears throat> teaching about it or, you know, and that's annoying, but I'm sorry, I'm not going through anything and just letting the message go, you yeah. know, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, because there are plenty of great yeah. things, even though it might not be overtly Christian. So we've got about sort of three or maybe four minutes something like that left, Mike. So I've got one last thing I wanted to talk about just very kind of briefly. I mean, it's been fast, amazingly helpful. And again, just hugely recommend people check out the, the the book because i think the Thank way you. to begin 
you know, being that persuasive Christian parents to begin thinking more intentionally about it. But we were chatting before we press record about, to me, the other side of this that we're, again, just beginning to think about with our kids is obviously we want, as parents, we want our kids to follow Christ. We want them to believe these things are true. But we also want them to be equipped themselves to talk about this with their with their friends because they talk to their friends they pray for their friends and those and those kind of things so have you got any advice for christian parents around around that area how do you both you know help your kids believe it's true but also then help them you know see the importance as part of being a persuasive christian is to actually be talking with others and you don't need i don't think you need to be an adult to start being a witness to to faith you can be an adult when you can be a witness when you're six it's just a six-year-old level of that any thoughts on that whole area well, again, that's impossible. I mean, Mike, you know, I'm a voracious reader mm-hmm. and, you know, I've told them all their lives they, and I, I buy them a book every Christmas, you know, and read more, read more, read more because you can't share it. So um, that's sort of up to the kid. Um, I found that they're constantly thinking mm-hmm. as they're interacting with their friends and they'll come back to me and say, so, and this happens with all three of my kids. My middle son is the least intellectual. And he does it. And, you know, he'll say, my friend David said this or this and this, and they'll come back and talk to me. And then we can, well, maybe you should have said that or, oh, that's great. And so that's, um, it's just to continue to implore and encourage Mm. them to do this. Yeah. You know, and and they will, they just will because they catch it from. Yeah. That's the thing to me. I'm, I'm a horrible at step, do this and, you know, I'm, I'm the last person to ask <laughs> to be intentional how you actually do that. Yeah. But, you know, I think that gives others hope because you don't have to be the 10 yeah. stepper. And, oh, I've got to make sure I teach my kids this. And no, and the, and the pressure isn't on you. Yeah, it isn't. It I'm isn't like, because yeah, I, we're responsible, I, I, but it's up to God. I, you know, yeah. I have no power. I, was saying, I like the fact that several times in this interview, Mike, you've, you know, I, I, love, I love the fact that you said, you know, whatever it is we're thinking about initial reactions is impossible because that's actually yeah well it it makes me laugh it's also it's the right place to begin because i think the danger is that once we think it's possible then as you say we get into right we need to get the program right and sort this out and this and then of course if it does go wrong you tear yourself up with guilt that you could have done something different and when i if it goes well you puff yourself up with pride right right when i first was started talking to people about the book some people sort of got offended that they thought i was guaranteeing that you're child could stay a Christian and have enduring faith. And, and somehow it's like, no, I, you can't guarantee anything. And we are in control of literally nothing. That's why there's no pressure. That's why it's, Hey, if my kid goes off, the, I tell people, if my kid went off to college, came back and said, I'm a, I'm, I don't believe now. I said, well, okay, great. Why justify thou that this is true versus Christianity, mm-hmm. right? You've chosen an alternative. Okay, great. I wouldn't go like, I'm a terrible parent. I mean, I am a terrible parent. I don't know, yeah. whatever, you know, I'm just what I, the best I can be and trust God, you know. That's a, that's a fantastic place to end. And I also love the fact we ended where, where we began, that it all comes down to truth and whether it's, whether it's true. And, and so, Jesus is the truth. Amen. Well, Mike, it's been a fantastic. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. Thank you for really taking the time and making the time zones uh, yeah, work. Well, and uh, so, again for people who want to check out mike's book hugely recommend it in fact we had mike on the podcast because one of my colleagues read the book and went you've got to look at this so um there's a link in the show notes do check it out 
And uh, all of you listening at home or on the, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for giving us 25 minutes of your time. And I'll be back in two weeks' time with my co-host, I hope, for another episode of Pep Talk. Thanks for listening. Thank you.